0: Hello and welcome again to Season 3 of What I Did Next from ANT Media. I'm Malak Fouad, your host. This show focuses on people's personal and professional crossroads and looks at those trajectories from key pivot points. My guests are multilingual, multicultural, and they're either from the Middle East or are connected to the region in some way. They're industry leaders, they're curious and passionate about the world around them, and they aim to leave their mark in some way. Today I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Ahmed Haeckel to the show. To many in the business community across the Middle East, Ahmed Hekel is a household name, but things could have been very different. After getting his PhD in 1992 from Stanford in industrial engineering and management, Ahmed wanted to become a university professor. As the son of the renowned confidant of Egyptian President Gamal Abdel Nasser, Mohamed Hassanin Hekel, academia seemed like a good fit for Ahmed. Today, Ahmed is chairman and CEO of Alha Holdings an investment company focusing on industries including energy, cement, agri-foods, transportation and logistics and mining. Some key companies under the Ala umbrella include the Egyptian Refining Company (ERC), ASIC Holdings, Taka Arabia and Dina Farms. Ahmed talks to me about the major ups and downs at the firm and the difficult period between the 2008 financial crash as well as the 2011 uprising. Describing these major pivots, he explains how Allah was able to eventually complete the building of ERC against all odds. Prior to founding Alaa Holdings in 2004, Ahmed was an integral part of the rise and dominance of EFG Hermes in the banking world. He joined the fledgling boutique financial consultancy in 1992 and went on to hold every major position at the bank, including being executive board member and managing director of EFG Holding. There is no doubt that Ahmed can be a polarizing figure. Is he a gambler or is he a visionary? He can see the big picture and has been successful on numerous occasions in anticipating where the business zeitgeist will be. However, such high risk-taking can also lead to major fails. He talks to me candidly about all of these. Today we see Ahmed in a more reflective phase, concerned with issues of consolidation and deciding that his high-stakes days are behind him. The man I met was thoughtful, pensive and a person who was keen to look back at the trajectory of his career and life. We start our discussion today with our icebreaker questions. The first question is based on the Malcolm Gladwell book, The Tipping Point. I asked Ahmed what personality type from the book he most associates with, a connector, a salesman, or a maven.
1: I think all three, uh, all three because I have the capability of passing from what happens at the global economy to what happens at the local economy what happens in local industries and what happens on the ground. So, and people tell me I'm a good salesperson. So I'm I'm able to convince people uh, relatively conceptually well.
0: My uh, knowledge of you uh, is that of course you have a a strong academic background and uh, it would seem to me that you'd fit quite comfortably in the Maven category. Which is an information specialist. Are you a bit nerdy about information? Do you like to gather information? Yeah, I'm,
1: I'm, 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 I, I gather a lot of information. It, with me, there is a conceptual framework that, and I put in the data points, I adjust the data points in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I gather a lot of information. You can ask me every day about the price of tomato, the price of, uh, of uh, cucumber, you can ask me about the price of wheat, you can ask me the, about the price of corn, you can ask me the price of oil, you can ask me about interest rates, you can ask me about mm. uh, a balance sheet of the Federal Reserves. So I can, I can go from ultra top, ultra high to low
0: so it would seem to me that you fit more the maven and salesman category maybe not the connector which is a little bit more of a networker uh bringing people together
1: whenever i have an idea of a business i just do it Mm -hmm. i i it's it's uh i don't you know if if i get an idea and you don't get ideas by just sitting in the office or you 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 have to be in markets you have to know the lay of the land in order to identify a business opportunity. I don't believe uh, people sitting in their offices and then suddenly there is a a godsend idea that comes down uh, from high above. You need to be connected. Because you get a lot of those ideas from from talking to people, not necessarily from people, but talking to people and suddenly there is something Mm -hmm. that comes out. Yeah,
0: so our second question Ahmed is about social media. And uh, this is a question that has um, surprised me in the way people have answered it. So either people are very black and white about it—they either love it or they hate it—or in in um, in one particular case, uh, one of my guests is not on any social media. Where do you stand on Twitter and Instagram?
1: I neither have a Twitter account nor an Instagram account nor a Facebook account, so I'm I'm not. Uh, on, on those uh, platforms. At all? At all. Mm. Uh, I, I uh, do a lot of YouTube. What do you watch on YouTube? Uh, a variety of uh, uh, things from fishing uh, to. Be, I'm, I'm an avid fisherman, uh, from ballroom dancing, from science, uh, from nutrition, you know, all of. All, you know, a, a, a very varied. Uh, Of course, businesses, news, etc.
0: Now, you know that the podcast focuses on pivot points, positively and negatively, professionally and personally. We all have these moments in our lives. I'd like to talk about your childhood. Um, You grew up in a very um, prominent family, uh, a relatively public family in the sense that uh, your father um, uh, Hassanin Hekel was of, obviously very well known in Egypt and in the Middle East and beyond. And I wanted to get a sense from you, the kind of childhood you had and uh, what it was like to have a father like that um, and and how, how you look back on your childhood.
1: I had a, a very happy uh, uh, childhood, punctuated by some uh, events that were uh, uh, quite difficult. Uh, I had a, a very, very, very good relationship with my father. Uh, we spend a lot of time together. It also helped that we were we both uh, did the same sport, which is golf. So we spend an enormous you know in golf, you, you walk out you walk leisurely for a couple of hours, half an hour before in the car and half an hour later. So we spend a lot of time together and I used to go with him to golf every day at 6.30 in the morning uh, before school. Uh, so so I, we spend an enormous amount of time together. He was a fantastic man. Uh, he was very, very cultured. He was very uh, generous with his time, with his information. Uh, at At a later stage, we became very good friends uh during the last ten years of his life. We spent an enormous amount of time. I would go visit him every day. Uh, probably uh, this is why i you know I felt that I did everything and I was next to him till, till the last moment uh, so that was uh, very comforting. Uh, but beyond that, he was uh, he he, uh, he was a very cultured man. Uh, you know, he tried to introduce us to uh, classical music. He we, we failed. He tried to uh, uh, introduce us to poetry. He had this gift of memorizing a lot of uh, poems. And you know, during the, the, the golf, he would say, you know, listen to this uh, poem, and he would start.
0: He would recite it for me. He would
1: recite it for me and, uh, you know.
0: But, you know, you you say that it didn't have an impact, the the love of classical music. But when I think when you learn or when you share a parent's love of something, it rubs off on you.
1: No, no. You know, I remember vividly that he tried to take us to uh, a concert in Florence in 1977 and uh, there was a big conductor uh, playing, I think it was Mutti, but I'm not sure. And uh, Hassan and I were sitting next to each other and the guy started to to play with his baton and and Hassan and I went, you know, giggling, totally giggles, (laughs) and we could not stop and and then they had to separate us and the people in front of us and the people in the back were saying who are, who are those you know? <laughs> i was 17 at the time hassan was 11.
0: but tell me a little bit more about um when you were growing up were you aware of
1: what his work was were you aware of his position in the country no my, my the, the, that's the the nice part about it is that i was born in 1961 until 1974, he was uh, uh, he had a position in Al Ahram, etc. But beyond that, he got fired from Al Ahram in 1974. By the time we were aware, those were the difficult years. Those were the years where every time President Sadat would come in a public address, he would attack him by name. So we saw the difficult parts. We did not see the.
0: And what was that like to hear your father being attacked like that?
1: not comfortable
0: and how was how did he deal with it because if he dealt with it well then it would transcend to you uh,
1: no he had a certain view uh, and and he did not want to change his views and uh, he paid paid the price he paid the price but he paid he also got rewarded for it because you know at the same point in time when he was fired from al-ahram he started writing books and our uh, um, Fortune changed. He was earning more. He was earning so, more. So
0: that was his pivot. <laughs> yeah, he, that was absolutely yeah. one of his pivots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and how often would you consult him for advice over the years for your work? Would you
1: turn to him? No work. Nothing about work? Very little work because we ne- he wanted... To be able to say his views while us pursuing our own businesses, you know, in third world countries, it's very easy to get, get retribution on one's kids. So it was we always kept it separate: uh, what we were doing and what he was saying. Sometimes, obviously, he caused us a lot of problems, but uh, that was part mm-hmm. of, uh, you know. We were very, very very, very close I, I I used to enjoy being with him tremendously. He was probably my best friend
0: it's a it's a real honor I think when you have that um that relationship and you're able to look back and and say that it's not for every, it's not everyone who can say that, but it's it's a huge blessing i find yeah
1: absolutely yeah. i i would i would hope that my relationship with my kids can be Similar to what I had uh, with him, I try to uh, to 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 leave them all the space to develop. Uh, uh, at an earlier stage, obviously, when kids are very young, you know, there is a d- discipl- disciplinary phase, and then after that, uh, you know, there is. Uh, uh, another phase where you watch from afar yeah. uh, your supervisory role and then hopefully you become a role model at a later point point. and
0: now time. it's a nice age because your children are are adults you have uh, two boys married uh so it's a different phase and it's a- I,
1: I am i am truly blessed with my wife i am blessed with my three kids mansoor taymour and nadia and my Daughter in laws who are fantastic, daughter in laws, and I, you know, I am very grateful for my kids to have chosen fantastic uh, wives. Mm.
0: Let's move a little bit, to Ahmed, please, to look at uh, your education. Specifically, I'm interested in um, the fact that you are an engineer by training. Um, and that you did a master's and a PhD at Stanford. This would have been at what state? What what are the years that you were in California?
1: I was in California starting uh, August 87, till May of 92.
0: And what was that experience like? I'm not- Phenomenal, very,
1: very rich. Why? For three reasons. Obviously, when you are when you go abroad you're challenged in your basic ideas you know a uh, cl- clash of ideas is quite important for you to to reach somewhere uh, that is comfortable for you uh, the it second you to
0: shape your thinking your
1: thinking and your views of the world obviously for as far as stanford is concerned it's the hub of uh, silicon valley and you know, uh, it certainly had a huge influence on my uh, um, entrepreneurship ideas, uh, how to develop, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because in here in Egypt, you, you study, uh, you uh, specialize very early, and in, I, I was I was I did my university years in Cairo University, so I only studied engineering, and I did not I was not exposed to liberal education. And so for the first years on top of my normal studies, I would go and do, uh, um, and do uh, courses in sociology, psychology, law, business school. I did one um, uh, in, in psychology department. My best class at Stanford was a, 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 te- a, a, a class on cognitive psychology.
0: And it, and you, and I think that the, this whole foundational uh, interest that you had, this this interest in psychology, do you feel that it infuses
1: how you approach Absol- your work? Absolutely. You know, it's about how people make attributions, cognition how you use certain heuristics to form certain ideas. So if I tell you, for example, what three of those heuristics are availability representatives and uh, uh, anchoring. Mm -hmm. So if I ask you a question, how many countries do you think are in Africa? 30? If I ask you the question, how many countries do you think are in Africa? 60? You will come up with a different answer because you will move from the anchor that I gave you. On so 60, you, you, if you think this is too much, you will go 55. If you 30, you will go to 40. So th- this is very well known phenomenon in. Uh, how people negotiate.
0: Do you consciously use these these formulas or? these I don't tactics? know
1: whether I consciously <laughs> use them.
0: But you feel that it's no. Uh, this knowledge has helped you in, in of negotiations. Course.
1: Yeah, of yeah. Course.
0: Interesting. You were planning on returning to Egypt and working in academia at Cairo University as a teacher, as a professor, but obviously the Stanford experience added another. Um, a desire
1: in you? When I came back in 1992, I had no idea of what I wanted to do. And you and were at this
0: point, how old were you?
1: I was 31.
0: So you, that's very
1: late. It's late. To start a career. And to still be uncertain about your direction. I was, I had no clue of what I wanted to do. And I, Dr. Taimur, uh, the founder of EFG and a professional mentor of mine.
0: And an uncle.
1: And an uncle. Uh, 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 kidnapped me three days into my return to Egypt. And he told me, you know, you should come and work for EFG. So I said, OK, let us try. And, and you know, EFG, there were a lot of pivots, uh, you know, there are a lot of pivots within the EFG, uh, good and bad.
0: I also think the fact that you came in more or less at the ground level when the company was starting, and you're coming from a a, a dynamic environment like Stanford, you must have arrived here with so many ideas and wanting to...
1: Not true. No? I had no... It developed during the first year. The first turning point at EFG was a a meeting that I had with Dr. Taimur. I was going on a private trip to London, and he told me this guy from Lehman Brothers came in, his name is Daniel Smaller, Uh, 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 try to meet him uh, during your trip to London. I must have impressed him because he told me, Ahmed, uh, I am coming to Egypt with three very large investors. Please arrange the trip for us. Those investors, I remember vividly. One is called John Leggett, one is called Tom Trimbert, and one is called Arminio Fraga. Arminio Fraga was working for Soros. They came to Egypt and I was with in the same car as Arminio for a very long period of time and we became friends. At the end, he told me, Ahmed, you need to transform EFG into an investment bank.
0: And at the time, were there investment banks
1: in no, Egypt? There were not. No, no, no. there were not. Uh, at that point in time, being it was purely a, commercial banking in Egypt. I remember I went to my father. I said I want to, you know, investment bank. He said, What's an investment bank? I said, Brokerage, asset management. Dad, he said, Broker. My son becoming a broker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was. But there.
0: yet, in in the U.S. and in Europe, it was a
1: very prestigious yeah, summer, I, I like don't, yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, but it, it yeah. was an, a more accepted. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, story. Uh, I went the following day. I went to Dr. Taimur Said we need to turn EFG into an investment bank. He told me no. EFG is an, is a is an advisory firm, and it will remain an advisory firm. Uh, a long story. Cut a long story short. The big another big pivot point came in 1995. In 1995 there was a, uh, a meeting between myself and Henny Taufi, then a partner of EFG. I was, at that point in time, a 10% partner at EFG. I had bought 10% uh, for 100,000 pounds. We were looking at the valuation of a company that we, were, we had a mandate to value, and I thought the value was 25, he thought the value was 6 million pounds, uh, I thought 25 million, and then at a certain point in time. But he said this company has no assets, and I told him yes, but it has very good people. And he said, very good people. What what people? You know, he he, he was dismissive a little bit. So I told him, okay, so but but this is what EFGRMS EFG is has good people. He As said, an
0: advisory company, yeah. this is
1: where your asset is. So. He told me, yeah, but how much would you value EFG for? I said, how much would you value it for? I, he, he told me I would sell my shares 36% for one million pounds. Okay? So I. I had by sheer coincidence. I had my checkbook in my uh, in my book pocket. I got it out and I wrote a check for one million pounds, which I did not have.
0: So you used the psychology on him. No, no, no. I did not use the psychology. <laughs> no, no.
1: I did not. It was it wasn't pure, necessary. pure, uh, 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 pure circumstance. Uh, Circumstantial. Uh, there was no. He had no intention to sell. I had no intention to buy. But he's he, the way he put it. He said, "I would sell my shares for one million pounds." I said, "Okay, I bought your shares, and I got my check. Here you are. And I have those uh, 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 framed out on the outside. On our way out, I will show you the, you know, this. Yeah, uh, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Okay. So I ended up buying. You didn't have
0: the money in the bank. I did
1: not have the money at the bank. I just had just come from uh, from Stanford. Yeah, yeah. I did not have the money.
0: Yeah. So it was a promise to buy.
1: No, no, but he also wanted the approval of Dr. Taimur, right, etc. Yeah. So it was, it yeah. was from there faith. on, it was yeah. two months until we yeah, executed. Yeah, yeah. But that is what allowed me to bring Hassan back from- uh, Hassan, uh, your brother. Hassan, my brother. So that is, the, the, those shares allowed us to include uh, the first crop of partners mm. in EFG. Mm. So we were able to bring Hassan, we were able to, bring, to get Hassan Abaza to be a partner. We got Ramzi Zaki to be a partner and Mohammed Nabih to be a partner. Mm-hmm.
0: And then the first, those, those early years at EFG were, were quite groundbreaking once you, you transformed it into this investment bank. What, what are the highlights of that period for you?
1: It was, it was we, we did not want, we were having so much fun, we spend an enormous amount of time. I would go open the the door of EFG at 8 o'clock and I would leave probably at 11 at night. So it was very, very, very long hours. It was 80 hours a week. It was was grueling.
0: You you can only sustain that if you're in love with what you're doing.
1: Impossible. Everybody should encourage their kids to pursue what they love because you cannot spend that amount of time in in a business unless you really are in love with your business. This was a bullish and heady time for those investing in the Egyptian economy, and
0: Ahmed's name was synonymous with big wins for EFG. He's also associated with a major fail for the bank, Funun, a publishing house and digital media library owning the rights to much
1: of Egypt's cultural output. The idea is that Egypt had has a, a lot of soft powers soft powers the the fun, the idea of a soft power is either anything that has not does not have to do with military or money so anything you can exert influence in your surrounding that does not involve those two issues yes like uh, the power of ideas, the power of arts, the power of sports, culture, the power of yeah. culture, the power of tourism. tourism the, you have a lot Absolutely. of uh, you know, uh, managers that you can export, uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of mm-hmm. businesses that, that do business yeah. around, etc. So the idea was to put a lot of that heritage into one uh, house.
0: And in particular, you were looking at uh, cinema
1: and music. Cinema, music, and publishing. Yeah. So in publishing, we had Nagib Mahfouz, Tawfiq Al-Hakim, my father. Uh, a lot of people under one uh, house. Uh, in, in in music, we had Al-Soum, Abdel Halim, Abdel Wahab. But how did you buy? Where did you buy the rights from? We from, who? from from the heirs. From the heirs of the of these people. Yeah. Okay. Or from the companies themselves, and the idea was to monetize those rights digitally. Mm-hmm. That was in two thousand in nineteen ninety nine two thousand, and that was too 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 too, too soon. Soon, mm-hmm. okay, and we could not sustain that. And then you obviously offloaded the company we Who sold to? it to Prince Al Walid mm-hmm. and uh, the story of how we got it, we we did that deal is is one day it would be but it's a very long version but
0: it's um it's was this a very much a a a project that you took to your heart because the idea of culture and the idea of yeah. being part of trying to sustain and 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 bring to the next generation the egyptian word and music
1: and there was some uh, they were with me it's always the mix mm. i i i'm not motivated only by money although money is very important because shareholders require money returns but you also have uh you know uh, another element of being useful to society
0: and what did your father think of the concept? of he, he,
1: he said it's dynamite. You don't know who you're dealing with, and it, you know, you Dynamite in a negative way? N- in dynamite in... Oh, really? I thought you meant dynamite as amazing. No, no, no. Why? No, no. Yeah, let's,
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's leave that one. We'll do that one offline. <laughs> That's very interesting. I thought he'd be very proud to be able to create a way to sustain all this no, for the no, next but generation? The, prob-
1: the problem is there were, there were too much vested interests.
0: Ah, but the and concept the, must be ca- Yeah, the
1: concept is good, yeah. but, but the problem is, you know, yeah. you, you, will, you, you will step on too many vested yeah, interests. Yeah.
0: When we come back, I talk to Ahmed about his leaving EFG and getting started with Allah. We also take a peek into his bucket list, and this may surprise you. That's right after this short break. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our bonus episodes, available exclusively for subscribers. On each bonus episode, I take a deeper dive into my guests' industries, and I share some extra parts from our conversation. For example, actor and comedian Rami Yusuf told me about his thoughts on cancel culture, and ex-anchor and now-author Hela Gorani told me her thoughts on the future of journalism. All of these great stories are only available on our bonus episodes, so subscribe now to unlock this amazing extra content. You can subscribe in Apple podcasts by clicking the subscribe button or on our website and get instant access to all our bonus episodes with a two week free trial. And now back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Malak Fuad and you're listening to What I Did Next. Today, I'm talking to Ahmed Hekel, a businessman who has been central to many of the ups and downs of the Egyptian economic landscape of the last 25 years. So then, um, you left EFG, Funun
1: uh, uh, was Funoon, sold. I sold Funoon, and I sold Funun in a very nice way, good. returned and, money yeah. to shareholders. A- and all and the
0: material and, lives on anyway, yeah, which is really uh, in yeah. a way good, yeah. in a way important. So tell me what happened next for you. I know that uh, Allah I went
1: to was, to form Kala.
0: Did you have a break, or did you no, go straight no. into it?
1: Straight into it.
0: So you had perhaps already been formulating in your mind another concept? Yeah,
1: yeah. We, we, I was at the, the last days in EFG, was I was the head. I am the one who probably did all four disciplines at EFG. I was head of securities trading, I was head of asset management, I was head of uh, investment banking, I was head of private equity. So private equity, that that was the last thing I did. So. This was the thing that I... So
0: that was a natural jumping off point for that you? That
1: was a natural jumping off and point.
0: And tell me about the start of Alaa.
1: We were looking for the first deal. The first deal was an important deal and we were looking for it. We identified it, uh, but it was it took much longer to, con- to, to close and at a certain point, Hisham Khazandar came to me and said, you know, uh, is it time to fold, uh, you know, we, we're not doing the first deal. And, but we kept at it. And, and, and we what did was the first deal? The first Asics? deal was ASIC. Yeah. ASIC was one of those deals that will never be repeated. In 2005, we thought that valuations were running very high. Uh, we had made very large sums of money. You know, when you start talking about those types, multi hundreds millions of dollars, this is a huge. Those are huge amounts. We then thought that we could build companies instead of buying companies, hmm. and that is a totally different. It's space. a different beast. Skill sets and a different beast.
0: And with the financial crisis of 2008, you were still able to continue with the development of those companies? Yes.
1: And and that was using the firm's own capital because at that point in time, co investors of ours were no longer willing to invest. Mm -hmm.
0: But at some point, Ahmed, didn't you have to make a decision as to which of those companies you had to? Uh, put your resources behind, we, in which we got you had them, to... We
1: got them all out of the door. There were a lot of calls within the firm to concentrate on some companies, but we, we ended up being able to conclude everything mm-hmm. until 2000, but then we got in, we got extremely lucky with the timing of the, the ERC revolution. closing.
0: Before we discuss that, tell me a little bit about ERC. So you and I went on a very interesting day trip together, a field trip. For me, it was a field trip. For you, it was a day at the office uh, where you showed me around the plant and I got to attend a meeting with you there. Um, But explain a little bit the, uh, the idea behind ERC, why you did it, why you developed it, why you built it. Um, and and the, the 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 ups and downs because you had all these major uh, problems with it.
1: The idea is Marwan Al Arabi's idea. Hmm. Okay, he came to me one day. He said, "I found it." Okay, I found.
0: I found the Holy Grail. I
1: found the idea, and he had he had found a really very very interesting idea. You know, every single company that you do should have should have an idea about how you're going to make money, you know, and Marwan had 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 identified that particular uh, point. Otherwise, it's a dream. Uh, otherwise, it's a, it's a, it's just a concept uh, uh, for your listeners. ERC is a four point three billion dollars company. And so it's, it's not Egyptian. that you are going to get, you know, you're lo- you, we were looking for five yeah. million dollars yeah. or Okay, we were, were talking looking, numbers that, we were are looking that are astronomical by private sector uh, standards. You know, we we our loan was 2.3 billion dollars, uh, a huge loan to get without the guarantee of the government. And uh, uh, in February of '11, the four local banks withdrew their support. And that was 450 million dollars of of equity wow. in the middle of the revolution. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so it, it was a huge blow at the time, and and then on top of that, me, Tareq Salah and Marwan, we were banned from travel uh, at that point in time. Also, they accused us of, of all sorts of of misdeeds and uh, which were totally false. And we were able to clear that uh, by June of uh, 11. So we started anew with a $450 million equity shortfall right at the time where. You were closing. We were meant to be finishing. We we were meant to be finishing, but then $450 million when there were riots and people getting killed right in front of our offices. Mm -hmm. So it was a very, very difficult time, and it was a very tumultuous time. And, and
0: how did you get through
1: it? We got through it by taking on more risk than what we should be doing, and uh, it, it, so so we we took on more debt than what we should have.
0: But so you then were able to get loans. But then
1: yeah but then we were able also to push through and at the end getting built and what you saw yes you know last week or two weeks ago is something that you should think of as the sheer will and determination of a a group of people uh, uh, that that took us Mm -hmm. to there now it's a very successful company it's a fantastic company it's a very profitable company but we passed through difficult times.
0: When we did the tour and I asked you if you would consider building another refinery in Egypt and you were very quick to answer no way. No way. What did it take out of you, this entire experience, the, the 2008 crisis followed by the revolution? And did you feel that you it was almost like a mission that you had to finish ERC? Did you feel invigorated by it? Were you excited by it, challenged by it? Or were you just trying to get to the finish line?
1: I was trying to get to the finish line. I was trying to get, I was, I I. I would think, I would sit here and think, if I go back, I'm 100% finished. If I continue, I'm 95% finished because I'm not going to reach the other side. It's out of sheer will and determination that we, we ended up, reaching on the other side. Uh, thank God, today we are making three million dollars a day of profit. So so let, let me not, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's
0: not a it's not
1: a. It's not a small investment and we are ending up being rewarded yeah, by it. Yeah. But it, 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 it took a huge toll on What on did us.
0: you learn from it, from the never,
1: experience? Never, never, never start a, a business until you're fully financed because that is the escalation of commitment process that takes place. And, you know, you're tempted spending the additional $5 million, $50 million. Incremental. Incremental. And at the end, you end up being uh, a seven month pregnant with no possibility of aborting.
0: I want to shift gears, Ahmed, please, um, and talk a little bit about uh, some personal aspects. You mentioned that you'd uh, been ill in 2008 and 2013. You had sarcoma, um, a form of uh, cancer. Tell me a little bit about um, the I don't need details. I don't need you to go into details, but what, how did it how did it happen in the beginning? What, what, how did it also because, you know, I've also had cancer. So it for me, it was a very big pivot in my life. Uh, How did it change your perspective on life uh, and how did it make you look at things around you? How did you prioritize things after that? Uh,
1: First, uh, 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 I was diagnosed in February of 2008, 2nd of February 2008. I was on the operating table in Boston on the 7th of, uh, of February. So five days later. I took this decision very, very fast. It was 48 hours. And you the... were how old then? Uh, 47. 47. After the operation, immediately I I, uh, I started uh, getting uh, radio, very, very aggressive radio and very, very aggressive uh, chemo. Uh, and that, uh, t- you know, the sarcoma is very dangerous because it tends to go to the lungs very quickly.
0: And you were never a smoker?
1: I was never no, a smoker. No, no but it, it's not smoking. It's No, it's, but if uh, you had it, already weakened lungs, yeah, it would no, have been a problem. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, I did not know the probabilities, etc. So. Better. Exactly. Much better. Hassan Hekel came to visit me one day and he came to me with, to the doctor. And he asked the doctors, "Can we understand what is the prognosis?" He said, "The five-year prognosis is less than thirty percent." And it took me by surprise. I have to admit that I, I did not know those probabilities. And you
0: didn't do your, you didn't research. No, it. I did not. You, did, you chose I, on purpose. I, not no, to. I don't
1: know whether I chose or what I, yeah. I um, you know, I let it yeah. pass. Yeah. Okay. And by the time the, the after the end of the fifth year. I was going up out to take out my portaka. You had kept it the whole time for it the it five years? Time. Believe it or not, I kept it until last year. Why, Ahmed, I, I ca- out of I, precaution? I, 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 out, of, out of superstition. Really? How interesting. <laughs> okay. I, I, wow. I, I, yeah. And uh, uh, but it's not bad, it's not good. You,
0: no, and, and, but it's discomfort, it's, it's uncomfortable. I, it is,
1: yeah. so, so I, uh, uh, in, in 2013, I was going for my last checkup before I graduate to a full year, yes, uh, yes, uh, okay. Yes. And the guy came to me in white. He said, very strange, but we have a recurrence. Mm. Okay, in the same uh, place. Uh, 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 and that is uh, not very normal, mm-hmm. et cetera. So I ended up doing the second, the same intensity of treatment. No radiation. It no was, radiation, and no. It was just the and, and no chemo. I did not take another time. Yeah. Another chemo. No. They just removed it. I see. But with much larger margins. How did it change you? I I I, I am a guy who. Um, it takes an even? Uh, I'm I'm an even, I live in an even pace. The highs do not get me very high. The lows do not get me very low. You learn with with age mm-hmm. to to have a more uh, even keel about events. But this is mortality. This is not it's a,
0: a business yes. deal. If, if or... it's if,
1: if it's it's time, it's time. Yeah, is
0: that how you approach yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Are you a religious person? Because for me, people who have faith and who are religious in whatever religion, I find that they do much better in situations like this because there there are no questions that are being asked. They don't ask questions. They just accept.
1: I I, I, I always thought that if it's time, it's time. That's, that's, that was your uh, attitude. I, it's uh, I was not very, I did not think about it a lot, but my attitude was that if it's time, it's time.
0: And did you take more care later, afterwards? Did you uh, become more I cautious?
1: Much, I, I became much more cautious over the last two or three years. And that is probably YouTube. Hmm, interesting. Okay, Because I follow tremendously the research coming out, of Harvard, Stanford, uh, San Francisco State, uh, uh, regarding longevity, mm. that that mm. field of, and and how what you could do with you know trying to improve your probability of, uh, you know it's not only genetic genetics are are. are are only one factor, but you know, everybody knows now that, you know, intermittent how you uh, eat, uh, intermittent fasting, uh, that sleep is very important, uh, that smoking is a disaster, uh, that uh, you should observe that drinking, too much drinking is terrible. Everybody knows now more or less the parameters that exist. So so there is more or less now an established... A standardization a standard, to what we should more do. More standard. It's yeah. not a... You know, everybody sure. will always push the boundaries of research. But sports is important. Outdoors is important. So yeah. so the walking is So good. you're
0: trying to incorporate these elements in your life. I uh, try to yeah.
1: Losing weight, I yes. lost some weight, some reasonable amount of weight over the last uh, two and a half mm. years. Mm.
0: You know, there's a theory. I, I, I don't necessarily believe it. Um, that stress
1: is a big uh, stress is a very brings important. cancer. Uh, I don't know about I that, but yeah. But, but there's a theory. There's sure, a lot of people I'm that sure, believe that. I'm sure it's a uh, stress is not good. Stress is, is never a, good. Stress, stress is, is never, never good. good as you grow older. Uh, 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 um, extremes are not good. Uh,
0: when you think of yourself, are you a, a detail person or are you a big picture person?
1: I used to be a big big picture guy, alas. Uh And I I have a, a, our our the CFO of EFG Hermes at the time, uh, Ramzi Zaki, uh, would, would come and tell me, look you stay where you are, and don't go into the operation. You think in millions, and the operation is with uh, uh, wh- pennies. Okay? So <laughs> so don't come near my people <laughs> regarding <laughs> uh, those, uh, you know. Uh, and I understand what he was telling me. Someone has to be big picture. Uh, so I was yeah. big picture, he was... Yeah. Uh, but now, with what we do, you cannot be you you can you understand that big picture is not enough. Implementation on the grounds and the pennies and the piasters and they are extremely important in a variety of businesses that we have. So I have learned to I have learned to be extremely diligent as far as the picture on the ground. So not enough to be a big picture man.
0: So we've talked a lot about today, um, the the risk, generally, Mm -hmm. your career from the beginning, um, there there have been a lot of risks uh, in front of you, risks that you've taken, risks Mm -hmm. that you have not taken. When you look back, when, you know, just generally, do you consider yourself to be someone with a high level A high taste for risk
1: used to be on the uh, on the upper end of the chart. Now more and more with time and with age, and uh, you know, you need you need to be more. Fear is important. Fear of hurting one's reputation, fear of hurting uh, one's wealth, uh, fear, although I don't think in terms of, you know, um, um, I want to live comfortably, but I don't think in, in terms of bank accounts, uh, that does not interest me. Uh, but fear is is an important factor. Uh, I used to be fearless mm-hmm. and, and that is never a good thing.
0: Can I ask you something? Because for me, what my, Going back to the cancer issue, for me, I developed fears after that. I got phobias about things that didn't affect you in that way. Zero. So in your in your case, the fear issue is more that with the age. risk.
1: I don't have I, I recognize that I don't have in me the desire or the capability to start anew.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I pass through a variety of cycles. I have, I lived a very interesting life, but if I have to start from scratch again, now we have maybe 40, 45 companies that are doing well. I am not looking to take on a lot of risks, Uh, marginal on the periphery, but today I don't Mm -hmm. have it in me to start a new cycle. You're in a maintenance and consolidation phase. I am in a maintenance and consolidation phase.
0: Okay, lastly, just for fun, what is on your bucket list?
1: Uh, On my bucket list, I would like boardroom dancing. certain. I love this. Tell me about this. When we went to California in 1987, May and I, we picked up boardroom dancing. And uh, we would go to the YMCA for classes. Uh, probably went eight or nine times. I had taken two dance lessons with Hassan in Zurich. When Uh, you were children? When we were teenagers. Yeah, teenagers, yeah. Uh, That your mother of course insisted on. No, 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 no. It was not not related to my mother. I I had, uh, uh, we we went to Saint Moritz a lot. And uh, there, there, there is that a famous um, discothèque there called La Volière. La Volière is named after the sheikh of Iran. He had the Tawous, the there, and La Volière he used to go there a lot. Mm-hmm. So they they named the, 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 this disco after him. And so in one thousand nine hundred and eighty. I was there and I saw a couple dancing, and it was magical. They were obviously practicing couple, and it was fantastic. And I always wanted to.
0: What did you like about it? The elegance,
1: the flow. The elegance, yeah. The elegance. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, and the ry- ry- rhythm, rhythm. Uh, so I wanted to. So when we went to California, we started class. And then my uh, 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 was pregnant, so we stopped. And she decided she does not want to take it up because I'm a lousy dancer. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what she said. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's probably right. So I'm a lousy dancer. But you obviously love it. It's
0: still fun. I, I did. Fun. I do love it. Yeah, yeah. So,
1: so, probably, you know, hopefully in a year's time, you know, I would be. Probably ten years, ten kilos lighter, and more have more uh, yeah. leisure and time on my hands, and be, floor. Be, be 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 able to move uh, but, around the dance floor. But but
0: you would would May be willing a willing partner? No no
1: no, May is not a willing partner, <laughs> and I don't want to start with her. I want to to take the dance funny. classes with a professional dancer. Yeah yeah yeah. No no I no, Ma, May no.
0: I love this story. She can watch you. <laughs> she can watch me. <laughs> Ahmed. Thank you so much. Thank you. What a treat. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm delighted you are with me. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. This episode of What I Did Next was brought to you by ANT Media with me, Malak Fuad, and is co-produced by Chirag Desai. Please remember to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter for updates on the show. Just search for What I Did Next. You can help our show to grow by leaving us a positive review in your favorite podcast player. Our next episode will be in two weeks time and we hope you can join us then.